You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. With patience. Let's ask for the Lord's help here. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help as we look to uh, this reading of your word, Father, and we pray, Lord, that you would meet our understanding, Father, where it, it presently is, and that, Father, you would be pleased to take us to a greater understanding of these verses, and that, Father, you would open your text up to our hearts and our hearts to your text. Apply this text to our lives, Father, and as we go forth through those doors this morning, that, Father, we we would find ourselves more and more like Christ. So, Lord, we look to you for this work, that you would meet us, that we would all hear your voice, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, if you're like me and you read a passage of Scripture like we just read, you're probably thinking, what's... What's all this about? What does this mean? It's not always easy, is it? Um, And if you're like me, um, outlines are helpful. How many are helped by outlines and diagrams? And, you know, we could make a joke here and say, well, we like the books that have pictures in them. Um, But we do like the books that have pictures in them, don't we? Uh, Maybe some of us don't, but I think a lot of us seem to be going, yeah, we do. Uh, um, Well, there's no pictures. Is there Uh, the pictures that we do have? I should say that there are pictures, but they're word pictures. I'm saying all this because what I'd like to do first is kind of give you um, a diagram or an outline, if you will. I began in verse 17 because verse 17 is kind of a pivot verse. You know, I'm not a basketball player and I know nothing about basketball, but I do know that there's this thing called a pivot, right? In basketball. Someone help me. And it's so that you got to keep one foot on the floor, right? And then you can pivot to the left or to the right. That means you can go really two different directions, right? Verse 17 is doing that. Verse 17 is pivoting. It's looking back and concluding an argument, a previous argument. But it also pivots and looks forward. And I want to show you uh, this. If you look back with me to verse 14, the Apostle Paul there says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Are sons of God, correct? Correct. Okay, and if you look at verse 17, notice that he says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of 
Christ. It's a logical conclusion, isn't it? If we're children, then we're heirs. And I mean, what a, what a wonderful truth that is. It's, but it's a logical conclusion. What I want you to see is that Paul's pivoting backwards right there. In the first half of that verse, he's pivoting back to what he's already discussed. But then he pivots the other way. And he adds this caveat in verse 17, if you look there with me. He says we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided, you see the word provided? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And with these words, Paul is pivoting forward and he's introducing another key theme, actually two of them, actually three of them, but let's start with two. And it's namely suffering and glory. He says that we are fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And we saw that last week when we were looking at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings, the idea of suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory uh, that is to be revealed to us. Can you see this suffering and glory? Uh, Then in verses 19 to 22, uh, Paul takes up the suffering and glory of creation. It's largely 19, 20, 21, 22. The suffering and glory of creation. Verse 23, that takes up the suffering and glory of the believer. And then in verses 24 to 25, Paul takes up hope. Uh, But let me say right from the start, hope is not being introduced in verses 24 to 25 because hope is actually, it's not explicitly stated, but it's heavily implied in every verse that we've talked about this morning. It's there, and I'll show you. Uh, in due time. Hope is, a, is certainly a major theme. So this is where I, as I'm looking at these texts, and I'm thinking, how in the world did we open this up? We need kind of some things to hold on to, something to kind of outline this, something to, to, to put in our minds here so that we can hang all these truths on. And the way I want to do it this morning, and the title of the sermon is really hope, suffering, and glory. These are our three themes, so we'll take these up. Each one of these are a series of sermons in themselves. Uh, but we'll just kind of do an introduction of hope, suffering, and glory this morning. Now, with this brief introduction in mind, let's um, go through the text. I think rather than just jumping in and saying, okay, let's start with hope, let's start with then we'll go to suffering, then we'll go with glory. I think there's so many phrases here that need explanation. What I'd really like to do is go through some of those, hopefully with God's help, explain some of those things. And then um, I think, the hope and the suffering and the glory that's in view will become clearer and clearer. And then I have four thoughts that I want to share uh, afterwards by way of application. So last week we spent the whole time in verse 18. I think we can skip that this morning and go right to verse 19. And the first thing that we need to see in verse 19 is the personification that Paul is doing here. Now, what do I mean by personification? Some of you are familiar with it. Some of us might not be. But if you listen to the word personification, you can hear the word person in it, right? Personification. Notice what Paul says here. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing. Okay, um, is the tree out there waiting with eager longing? Uh, Do you suppose the tree's out there waiting? Um, this is something that goes on in scripture that I used to have a lot of fun with Kara with, man. I mean, Kara was, she was, all the kids have been fun to do this with, but Kara was, Kara was so fun. She's, first of all, she's smart as a button. And as soon as she could talk fairly well, 
We'd go down the road, and maybe if we were driving along the river, I'd say to Kira, I'd say, you know, the river claps its hands. She'd be, what? Kids are so fun at that age. You know when they still think you're funny? You know? And they're like, the river claps its hands. Oh. Or if we were somewhere near a rock or some stones or something, I'd say, you know, stones cry out. Or if we were around hills or something, I'd say, you know, the hills sing for joy. And she was so funny. As she continued to listen to this over time, she started to tell me, no. <laughs> I'd say, you know, the river claps its hands. That's silly, Pappy. Well, why is that silly? Well, the river doesn't have any hands. Oh, that is a problem, isn't it? Well, you know, the stones cry out. No, they don't. Well, listen, you hear anything? No. Well, why don't the stones cry out? They don't have a mouth. You're being silly. She was so much fun, you know. The hills, they, you know, they, they sing for joy. Um, with this in mind, listen to Psalm 98, verses 7, 8, and 9. Psalm 98, verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and all, and the, I'm sorry, the world and those who dwell in it. Okay, we listen to that. Anybody who's been at the beach, the sea does make a roaring sound as the waves come in, don't it? There's a certain sound. Okay, verse 8. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Some of you might say, Rick, this is really simple. This is, is this a kid's sermon this morning? Well, it's a big kid's sermon this morning. Is that okay? Because that's what we are as big kids. And why am I doing this? Because you're not going to forget it now. You won't forget it. Um, do the rivers clap their hands? Do the hills sing for joy? Do the stones cry out? With Kiera, we would say no. The rivers don't have hands. The hills don't have a mouth. The stone doesn't have a mouth. Um, What's going on here? We all understand it's poetry. We understand that we're not to take this literally. That's not what's being intended here. What we understand by this is that creation is praising God. It's, it's, praising, it's praising God. And it's actually quite moving literature, isn't it? You know, when we look out, that tree is just praising God. I mean, it's, 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 it's praising Him. It doesn't have a mouth. It doesn't have hands to clap uh, but by virtue of it being there, doing what God has intended for it to do, it's, it's praising God. Um, now, back to Romans 8.19, Paul is personifying creation here. He's describing creation as waiting, waiting with eager longing. And we might ask of the verse, what is creation waiting with eager longing for? The answer, the revealing of the sons of God. That's what it's waiting for. Now, in verses 20 to 22, Paul explains, he says in verse 24, the creation was subjected to futility. Now, we can read this and go right past that word futility so quickly and so easily. I've done it so many times, but I got to tell you, we need to pause right there because futility is really an awful word. It's an awful word. If we go real fast, we'll miss this whole thing. If you look futility up in the dictionary, it'll tell you that it's pointlessness, it's uselessness, it's meaninglessness. Um, futility actually is a dangerous word. Um, 
This is a dangerous word. It's a dreadful word. I say this because it describes a, a condition that many find themselves in. There are a lot of people in our valley that woke up this morning thinking that their life is completely futile. It's completely meaningless. It's completely pointless. And some of them are in a dangerous spot. Um, they're in a very dangerous spot. And God has given us a whole book in the Bible to address this. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And listen to how the book begins. It begins with these words, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, this could be translated to read this way. Futility of futility, says the preacher. Futility of futility, all is futility. Now, why do I say it could be translated that way? Because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, guess what word is used in Ecclesiastes? It's the same word that Paul's using in Romans 8. It's the same exact word. And what it's meant to describe is the dreadful curse that's upon the world as a result of human sin. Turn with me to keep your place in Romans 8 and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's, if you're using the church's Bible, you'll find on page 553. I just want to read a few of the opening verses here to set the tone of what we're talking about. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, page 553 if you're using the church's Bible. Verse uh, 3, I'll start there. Uh, what does man gain from or by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what, is, what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, an exposition of all these verses this morning is way beyond the scope of this message and of our time as well. But I think you get the, the gist of it here. Uh, we need to study this book. One of these days we will study this book, Lord willing, because this is where a lot of people find themselves. And, um, you know, we can see life as a grind and we can ask ourselves, what is the point? And you look around at creation, you know, um, a deer suffers through a harsh winter, it suffers through the pain and the cold of, of the starvation of a harsh winter. And then on the first nice day of spring, it's struck by a car. We see stuff like that, don't we? 
As I was writing this, uh, right after I wrote that line earlier this week, I was thinking about a dear person that I counseled many, it's been quite a few years ago now, and he was on the brink of uh, depression when he asked for help. And all he talked about the whole time I talked with him was these ducks that he used to see on his way in to work. And he always looked forward to seeing the ducks because he said these ducks were really peaceful and they were beautiful. It was this little family of ducks. And, and then one morning on his way to work, to his horror, he discovered that somebody actually had to have went clear off the road to do it, but somebody had destroyed the ducks with a car. And um, he, uh, he was crushed. The fact is, I mean, we could, these are two examples, but we could just go on and on, couldn't we? Because things are messed up, aren't they? They're really messed up. And um, one scholar has observed that the book of Ecclesiastes is a commentary on Romans 8.20. I found that to be really insightful, that the whole book of Ecclesiastes is a commentary on what Paul is saying in Romans 8.20. I mean, the fact is creation is suffering and it's suffering every hour of the day. And Paul reminds us in 8.21, if you look there to Romans 8.21 with me, that creation is in bondage to decay. Do you see that? And we all know that, don't we? Because our shoes wear out, our cars rust, and our houses need constant attention, don't they? If you don't keep up with your house, it falls apart. It's just the way it is. Uh, It needs constant attention. Creation is suffering. Now, if I closed in prayer right now, what a miserable message that would be, huh? Say, thanks, Rick. I just really feel terrible. Um, It would be a real disservice to close in prayer right now. And actually, it wouldn't even be being faithful to the text. Because you remember, I told you that we're going to look at hope, suffering, and glory. We've been looking at suffering. But I got hope first in the title of the message, and I got it there for a reason. Hope is first. It's, it's, we look around at creation, and what Paul is saying is because it's in bondage to decay. It's constantly decaying, and it's suffering every hour of every day. But it is not without hope. Look again with me to verse 19. And someone will say, well, wait a second. Hope isn't in verse 19. Yes, it is. Creation waits with eager longing. Eager longing is an expression of hope, isn't it? Things are really bad right now, but they're going to get really good. And I'm eagerly waiting for that to happen. That's hope. That's hope. Now, what is creation eagerly longing for? We asked that question a few moments ago. We answered it with, quote, the revealing of the sons of God. What does this mean, the revealing of the sons of God? Let me see if I can illustrate it with an experience I had Tuesday night. Tuesday night, we were taking Baxter to the vet. And some of you know my dog Baxter was so sick uh, 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 just a number of weeks ago that we weren't sure he was going to make it. And we haven't been able to vaccinate him or give him any vaccines until a good period of time went by and, and uh, we were going to take him to get his vaccination. When, as we were getting ready to go out the front door, I noticed that there were two deer. They weren't um, in our yard, but they were just right on the edge of our yard in the field that's beside our house. And they're just peacefully grazing. And it was about quarter to six. And Route 8 is very busy at that time 
of the day. And knowing that, I knew that as soon as I opened the door and come out with Baxter, I would spook those deer, and those deer would head straight for the road. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to tiptoe out the back door and go between me and, and my next door neighbors. I was actually going to go the way that some of you come when you come to the bonfire. You come up in the yard between our houses. I kind of tiptoed through there in the grass, got down uh, uh, in the neighbor's property, and I managed to sneak almost right up behind these deer. But now I'm between the deer and Route 8, and I knew that if I could get there, when they saw me, what are they going to do? They're going to run, but they're going to run the opposite direction, up the hill, away from the road, which is what I was trying to accomplish. Now, some of these singers are thinking, what has that got to do with Romans 8? It has this to do with it. When the deer saw me, what did they do? They ran. Why? Because they're petrified at the sight of a man. Why are they petrified? at the sight of a man. It's because of the curse. It's because of the curse. Um, I think the, the fear that they have is probably a lot like the fear that I have when I see a snake. I'm not real wild about snakes. I don't wish them any harm, but they, they scare me. And Tammy, she's that way with mice. I mean, when she sees a, when she sees a mouse of any description... I mean, she is up on the bed. I mean, you know, thank goodness we haven't had any mice in our house in a long, long time. But once upon a time, boy, she's so afraid of them. And I think that the animal life, when they see us, um, they they experience the same thing. But um, that's not the way it's always going to be. It's not always going to be like that. Someday the animal life will have no need to run from mankind. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be harmony between the animal life and, um, and mankind. And, you know, what I'm about to say next is not so much a thus saith the Lord. I'm going to offer you a personal opinion. You can take it if you want. I think it's biblical. Um, if you were to disagree with me on it, I wouldn't make any kind of thing about it, but I don't think anyone will disagree with me. I think it's very biblical. But I think that in the new heavens and the new earth, the animal life, the relationship that we'll have with the animal life is going to be very similar to the relationship we have with our closest pets. I mean, I look at Baxter all the time, my dog, and and I, I look at him a lot and I think this is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. You know, the love that we have for each other. Um... Those deer in my front yard wouldn't have run from me in the new heavens and the new earth. They would run to me when they saw me. Um, that's that's my personal conviction on this, and I think it's I think it's um, I think it's I think it's correct, or I wouldn't share it with you. Um, and creation's cue as to when this great time will be is the revealing of the sons of God. What is that? Well, the context, and we'll see that in a couple minutes, the revealing of the sons of God, what is that all about? Well, it's about the redemption of our bodies. In other words, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the redemption of the believer's glorified body in the new heavens and the new earth. That is creation's cue as to when this will be. And the prophets speak to this. I mean, Isaiah 11, for example, looks forward to this when it says, quote, the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra and the wean child shall put its hand on the adder's den. If 
you found your toddler playing near the hole of a cobra, you would be horrified. Uh, so this is a really graphic um, description of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. Verse 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or Isaiah 16, verse 18, Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Or how about this one, Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So uh, this is what creation is eagerly longing for. It's eagerly uh, longing for the removal of hostility and violence and bloodshed uh, and what have you. And it's also eagerly waiting for its liberation from decay. Uh, That's part of the curse, uh, the decay. And if you look at verse 21, when we find ourselves in despair and sadness over what we see, in this cruel world, here is hope that we want to set our hearts on. Uh, verse 21, thus saith God's holy word, quote, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There'll be no need for those animals to fear us. Uh, no need whatsoever. They'll be set free from that. Now, that's the first part. Um, suffering and glory and hope as it pertains to creation. We come to verse 23 and we'll see the second part, uh, suffering or hope, suffering and glory as it pertains to believers. Verse 23, and not only creation, see that? Not only creation, Paul's adding. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, that's the context, this idea of... of, uh, 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 gaining our glorified and resurrected body here. Now, someone might be thinking about this and say to themselves, wait a second, I mean, I see in verse 23 here that Paul tells us that the believer is waiting eagerly for adoption, but like it seems to me in an earlier message, we saw that Paul was saying we're already adopted. You remember that? So if we're already adopted, how can we wait with eager longing to be adopted? Do Do you see that? What's that all about? Um, Well, back in verse 15, if you look at that, Paul says you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons who cry, Abba, Father. And when we were back in verse 15, I told you the moment that we were justified, salvation doesn't stop there. A lot of times we talk about like justification like it's the end. Justification is wonderful. Justification is great. Justification enables us to stand in God's presence. But that's not the end of salvation. You know, adoption. You know, God doesn't just justify so we can, so we can, so we can leave acquitted and go on our way. Uh, he takes us home with him. And uh, we are treated as sons and daughters of Almighty God. And this happens the moment that we believe. So we ask ourselves, how can Paul now, eight verses later, say that we're eagerly longing for what we already have? And the answer lies in that phrase that comes at the end of verse 23, namely the redemption of our bodies. I mean, our salvation is not complete the moment we profess faith. There's a lot of people that believe that. You know, I shared with you that there was a family here that left the church because of that very issue. They heard me talking about salvation and they were picking up on the fact that I was talking about it like it's a promise. 
or like it's a, a, a like it's a, a, a process. And um, they they even asked me about it. They're like, "Could you clarify something for me? You seem to believe that salvation is a process." I'm like, "That's correct. Um, I do believe that salvation is a is a process." They're like, "Well, we don't believe that." And quite frankly, we think that's heretical. Well, then I said, well, are you in your glorified body? I hope not. I mean, I mean, no disrespect to you, but I hope that's not your glorified body. Because one of them is all crippled up in a terrible, terrible shape. I hope that's not your glorified body. Can you see Jesus? Do you hear his voice? Can you see him like you're seeing me? And how are you getting along with the archangels in heaven? Have you, you guys bumped into each other lately? Seems quite plain to me that there's more coming, isn't it? Um, and that's what Paul's talking about here. It's like, okay, in one sense, yes, we're adopted. That is true. We're adopted the moment we're justified. We're adopted. There's no one who's justified who isn't adopted. No one has to sit around and say, man, I, I got you know, I got justified, but I didn't get adopted. No, that's not how it works. If you've been justified, you've been adopted. Now, how does Paul say, well, we wait with eager longing for adoption? Well, our adoption is, is sure, we're sons and daughters of God, but we're not sitting at the marriage supper table yet, are we? There's a chair sitting there. There's, a, there's, there's silverware sitting there. There's a plate sitting there. But we're not there yet, are we? So there's a sense in which there's an already component here. We're already uh, adopted. But there's also a sense where there's still more to come that just hasn't happened yet. And that's what Paul's picking up on here. Uh, it, it, and our salvation is not complete until the new heavens and the new earth, is it? Now, I hope nobody listens to this and then next week I got to, hey, I want to talk to you about this uh, process of salvation stuff. Please don't do that. Um, that's just a joke now. Um, it's not until then that we're really going to truly enjoy the benefits. Um, I'm not saying that right now we don't enjoy the benefits of adoption. We do. Uh, we very much do. But there's a sense where there's more to come. Okay, so we wait for all this with eager longing. There's a lot more that could be said about all this, but um, our time is running short. Um, I want to kind of briefly apply some of this with four thoughts that I have about hope, suffering, and glory. And the first one is this. Biblical hope uh, is future certainty. And the reason I want to start with this one is because when people listen to hope, if you listen to hope and you listen to the word hope and you listen to the word hope, someone might think what I mean by the word hope is something like, okay, Tuesday we're having this outing down on the curb. We're hopeful that it won't rain. I hope it doesn't rain Tuesday. Well, I hope it doesn't rain Tuesday. Is there anybody here who hopes that it does rain Tuesday? I mean, if you did, that means you don't want to come to it. I hope it doesn't rain Tuesday. Do I have certainty that it won't rain Tuesday? No. So what my hope is, is a strong desire. Hope here is, is a strong desire. I have a strong desire that it doesn't rain on, on Tuesday. But I don't have future certainty about that. You see, biblical hope is not a strong desire. It's not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is future certainty for what we can't yet presently see. I mean, it would be kind of blasphemous to say, well, I hear what God is saying and I hope he can do it. 
Sometimes you'll talk to people, like different times I'll ask people questions and you know, I'll say, you know, I mean, how do you feel about heaven? You, you, you know, you headed for heaven? Well, I hope so. Well, what's that mean? Well, I would like to go there. Well, you're not sure? Well, I'm hoping I can get in. Okay, that's expressing, that's not biblical hope, by the way. That's a strong desire that somebody wants to be there. You see, biblical hope says, well, you know, everyone who, God has promised everywhere in his word that everyone who has faith and God through Christ Jesus will be in heaven. That's how it works. Biblical hope is certainty that that future will come to pass. So biblical hope has future certainty. Secondly, biblical hope and suffering are not incompatible. We need to get this one down. Someone might be saying this morning, well, I'm not really suffering right now, so this is no big deal. Hey, listen, if you're not suffering right now, unfortunately, um, that, that's going to change one of these days. One of these days, you're going to find yourself suffering. And some of us have suffered. And we know that that can happen very quickly, almost at any time. And how do we get through that? Well, we get through that. First way we get through that is we understand that biblical hope and suffering are not incompatible. These two things aren't incompatible. I mean, there's there's a danger here in suffering, as I've already alluded to, because we can become overwhelmed in suffering. There's a danger. It's dangerous to suffer. You can become overwhelming and you can become spent. You can say, I'm just going to give up. It's just, I'm just done. And whenever I think of suffering, I, I, you know, I think of John Calvin because he spoke about it so much. He spoke about suffering so much because he suffered terribly uh, so much in so many ways. And he used to use the French and the Latin equivalent of the English word faint a lot in his messages and in his writings that we could faint in other words, that we could become overwhelmed with suffering. It could just be so great that we just, we just can't take it any further. Uh, one way to combat against this is to understand that suffering is not incompatible with hope. It doesn't mean that we can have hope until suffering shows up. And then when suffering shows up, we have no more hope. The world believes that. If we think like the world and we have our eyes on the world and we have the eyes on the sages of this world, we're going to think that way. We're going to think when suffering comes, hope is dashed and we're going to be in the tank. And we will do that, by the way, as suffering comes in. And we need constant encouragement that hope and suffering are not incompatible with each other. This is a powerful way to prepare for suffering. Uh, suffering is not a showstopper. Suffering uh, it does never take God by surprise. Suffering doesn't take God by surprise. If you look at verse 20, there's a, there's a doctrine in verse 20 that the world reels against. And unfortunately, many in the church reel against it as well. Look at verse 20. For, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. In other words, creation didn't want this. Well, then we'll ask, then how did they get it? Where did it come from? Well, it was because of him who subjected it. Who subjected it? Well, Almighty God subjected it. And the world reels against us. What kind of God would do that? Answer, a holy and just God who can't tolerate sin. That's who does it. But the Bible teaches us that, and we'll see in a couple of weeks, and I'll save much of this for next week, because it teaches us right here in Romans 8 that the suffering that comes into our lives has purpose. 
That's why there's no reason to give up hope in the midst of it, because it has purpose. There's a purpose. It's not futile. Remember the meaning of futile. Pointless, meaningless, useless. That's, that's not what the suffering that we're going to suffer through is. If you're in Christ Jesus, it's not pointless. It's not futile. It's not meaningless. God is doing things in the midst of it that we don't know. We don't understand. And we can't figure out. And maybe one of these days God will explain it to us. But I have a sneaking suspicion that once we get into heaven, we're not going to remember it anymore. Just as Isaiah has told us. These things won't just won't be remembered anymore. And if we go back to verse 18, Paul says, listen, the present suffering of the present time, not to diminish it in any way. But I got to tell you, it's not worth comparing to the glory that we're going to that we're going to receive. In other words, we got to quit looking like this and the here and now, and we've got to broaden our horizon and begin to look at the big picture. This is big picture talk here, where we begin to look at the big picture. Jesus was always looking at the big picture. He was always looking at what was next. And that's what we got to do. And when someone's in the tank, we got to counsel them. Listen, you need to step back and look beyond the big picture here. Uh, you need to look beyond the big picture. This is not taking God by surprise. Uh, th- if you're in Christ Jesus, this is temporary. It's soon going to be over. And you're going to have all eternity. So through the lenses of the gospel, biblical hope is not dashed by suffering. It's not. As long as our eyes are on the gospel, as long as our eyes are on Christ. It's not. It's simply not. Thirdly, biblical hope understands glory is reached through suffering. Biblical hope understands glory is reached through suffering. Um, Recently, I came alongside a man who is suffering terribly, and he was in so much pain that he was crying, uh, crying out loud. And he asked me, why? Why is this happening? And I said to him, I don't know. I don't know why it's happening. And I was calling on him to put his faith in Christ, and I was telling him that, In Christ Jesus, this will be temporary. Apart from Christ, this is not temporary. This is the way it will always be. Probably worse. But in Christ Jesus, this is temporary. And I want you to understand something. This is what I said to him. The road to glory leads straight through suffering. The road to glory goes straight through suffering. Calvin, again, he had so much to say on this subject. Listen to what he says on this subject. He's quoted, he's, he's commenting on 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 11. And he says, the church of Christ has been from the beginning so constituted that the cross has been the way to victory and death, the passage to life. The order is to be noticed. And now he's speaking of Peter here. Peter, Peter mentions suffering first. And then adds the glories which are to follow. For he intimates that this order cannot be changed or subverted. Afflictions must precede glory. So there is to be understood a twofold truth in these words. That Christians must suffer many troubles before they enjoy glory. And that afflictions are not evil because they have glory annexed to them. End of quote. I like to put it this way. The road to glory leads right through suffering. You know, Paul puts it this way. Uh, we'll be, verse 17, we'll be heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul's not saying that we're going to earn our glory by suffering. Paul's just merely commenting that, listen, the road to glory goes right through suffering. Because you see, you want to go to glory, well, it's that way. And someone will say, whoa, man, that's looking pretty bad that way. Well, it's the only way. You've you got to go that way. It's through suffering. 
Now you see how silly these unbiblical messages are being preached right now. Some knucklehead is preaching that your best life can be lived right now. Some knucklehead is saying, give Jesus, give it all to Jesus and all your problems are going to go away. That's blah. That's, that's just, that is just crippling to people to hear that, you know. Uh, somebody is saying, if you have enough faith, you can put health problems, financial problems, work problems, family problems, all this away for good. That is so unbiblical. And so crippling and debilitating. And granted, it's what people want to hear. But how can you know anything about your Bible? Even the most fundamental knowledge of the Bible is going to dictate to you that the way is hard. The way is hard. The, the, the road is really narrow that leads to eternal life and few find it. Who's that sound like? Sounds like Jesus in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's simply unbiblical. John 16, 33. I, this, this verse has always been special to me because I shared it with my grandfather so much. And this was the passage that I preached at his funeral. John 16, verse 33. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. These are the words of Christ. In this world, you'll have tribulation. I used to say to my grandfather, I used to say, you know, in this world, Jesus, you know what he said about this world? Pap would say, what's that? He said, you're going to have troubles. Pap would say, boy, sure, that ain't sure the truth, isn't it? But then Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Yesterday, I was going over this stuff and I was looking at this stuff and I was thinking to myself, especially in the wake of like lately it's been a little bit bumpy there's been a lot of really chaotic situations going on and uh, Tammy and I have found ourselves from one chaotic situation to the next as of recently it's been noisy that way and I was thinking to myself actually as I'm kind of debriefing from that and I was thinking Lord I'm so thankful that like I can sit here with such peace in my heart especially as I look around and I see nothing but chaos man nothing but chaos just unbelief and chaos and and uh, I'm so thankful that I've got this peace in my heart, you know. But in the same breath, I don't know about your life, but my life is not very easy. It's not very easy. And I don't say that to complain. I'm just saying that as an observation. This ain't easy. J.C. Ryle used to say, listen, if you want an easy life, don't, don't become a Christian. You, you, you see, if you want to go to glory, you got to go this way. It's that way. And someone looks down that road and they say, man, that looks rough. Well, it is. But you should see what's on the other side of it. And we have this promise that Jesus, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll walk with us through there. He'll come alongside of us and fear not, I've overcome. Yeah, that's scary looking. But what's Jesus saying to us in, in John 16, 33? He says, listen, I got it. I got it covered. I got this one. Come on. Let's go. One last thought and I'll close. Biblical hope creates eager longing. If you're like me, I mean, sometimes like you'll come across passages where there's this eager longing or you'll read Paul saying, man, you know, I'd, I'd just like to go and be with the Lord, you know. In other words, what he wants is he wants to die and be with the Lord. And uh, I was just already this morning talking with one person about that, you know. And there is a, there, you know, it is biblical to want to depart and be with the, be with the Lord. And I fear that the world has such a hold on us that it dulls us from that, that we don't say that very often, that we don't say, boy, you know, I'd like to check out and just be with the Lord. I, 
I say this because I, I see it in my own life. And I say it because uh, very rarely do any of you come to me and say, you know, man, I'd just like to check out and be with Jesus. In fact, quite frankly, I've only heard one of you say that. I've never heard anyone else say it. So um, I think that I'm not saying that we should leave here and say, oh, man, I want to check out. I want to check out. I'm not saying that at all. But there should be an eager longing in our heart for what's next. And I think that the world and our affluence and all the things that we have and our cell phones and our Facebook and all this stuff, I think, just keeps us from thinking that way. It's, uh, it's blinding us and dulling us from thinking about what's next. Uh, we're so easily satisfied with the trinkets of this world that we become dull to, to what's next. Um, well, uh, biblical hope will create uh, eager longing. And one of the ways that it does it is it, it continually shows us that there's no certainty in this world. There really isn't. I mean, we keep trying to find certainty in this world. We, we look for it everywhere, but what happens to us? How many of you always get your way? There are some who do. It's the worst thing that can happen to you, actually, is to get your own way. Take a leaf out of this book, young parents. Don't give those children their way. Don't do it. Just don't do it. You do it, you're going you're gonna to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be pretty for you or for them or for anyone involved. Don't do it. They have to be told no, and no has to mean no. End of discussion. That's the healthiest environment you can be in. Because when you tell them yes, if the father were to tell us yes every time, and tell us yes every time, and we'd get yes every time, it'd make a monster out of us. An absolute spoiled monster that would be devoid and incorrigible uh, in terms of spiritual things. It'll completely ruin us. We have to have disappointment. Because we've got to go this way. You see, the glory, you've got to go that way. And someone will look that way and they say, that looks disappointing. Well, there's many disappointments that way, I've got to tell you. I've met a few of them. They are disappointing. But as I look back at those disappointments, they actually were, in the end, they were pretty good. I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't experience them. If God would have been just saying, hey, Rick, that sounds great. You, yeah, go ahead. You, you can have this prayer and you can have this prayer. and you can have, what, what else? You know? Well, you know what, Rick, quite frankly, let's let the world revolve around you, okay? That's really what you're asking for. And that's what our children are asking for. They're saying and they're crying and they're demanding, listen, world, revolve around me. Well, it doesn't revolve around us, does it? Doesn't it? And the sooner we learn that, the better off we are. This world revolves around Christ. And he won't share that with you or me or anyone else. My glory I give to who? No one. No one. It's hard to say no. It's hard to do that. It's hard to face disappointment. It's hard to face suffering. It's hard to face all this. But the glory everyone is that way. It's through all of that. Hope, suffering are not incompatible. Hope and suffering are part of the way to glory, aren't they? Amen? There's so much more to be said, but 
Let's call it a morning, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Father, for your goodness and loving us so very much. And Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning has certainly been incredible. And we thank you for that, Father. And we thank you that, Lord, you would continually teach us Suffering is so dangerous if we if we embark on it without biblical hope, certainty of the future. And Father, teach us over and over again that glory awaits as we travel through this suffering. Father, teach us this over and over again that we we would would even expect it as it comes. We wouldn't think something strange is happening to us, but that we'd be expecting it. But always teach us, Father, the truth that we know that lo and behold, you are with us always, even to the end of the end of the age. So, Father, we thank you uh, for hope, and we even thank you for suffering, and we thank you for the glory that awaits in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.